This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. The most popular form of school choice in the United States is the tax credit scholarship program. Tax credit scholarship programs uh, get about two-thirds of the public to say they, they like them, uh, even though you don't get that kind of support for charter schools or, or even uh, 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 school vouchers. So uh, now what is a state? tax credit. A state tax credit is when the state says that they will reimburse uh, a donor uh, full in full for donations to a foundation dedicated to providing scholarships to children from families with incomes at or near the poverty line. Now, Florida is the state that has the most uh, well-developed uh, tax scholarship program directed towards uh, low-income uh, students and it's serving over 100,000 students uh, today. Uh, but are those families happy with the scholarship? And uh, what is it about the scholarship uh, that they're pleased about if, uh, if they are satisfied? So to answer that question, Jason Bedrick and Lindsey Burke uh, surveyed all the parents making use of tax scholarships, and they've come up with uh, some interesting responses. I have with me today Jason Bedrick, the Director of Policy at EdChoice, which is a national organization promoting school choice. Uh, thank you, Jason, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thank you for having me. So, Jason, may I first ask you a couple of questions about the tax credit scholarship program in Florida. Uh, let's start with just how long it's been around. Uh, how many years do we have uh, that program with us? That program was enacted in 2001. It was actually the third program of its kind enacted after Arizona and Pennsylvania. So what's the amount of the scholarship that's uh, being given? It varies depending on uh, income level and also depending on uh, what grade the students are in, but it's roughly about 6500 to $7,000 right now. So how much money can you make and still be eligible to receive a scholarship? That's about 200% of the ability to qualify for free and reduced lunch, uh, which is 185% um, of the federal poverty line. But actually, in terms of the, the students who are participating in the program, uh, it's only the, the, the average household income of a participating family is only about $25,000 a year. So the students who are actually participating are among the most uh, low-income students in the state. So it is uh, fulfilling its purpose uh, in that regard. Now, how many private schools are participating in the program? I, I don't have the exact numbers, but there are several hundred uh, private schools that are participating in the program. So are they spread throughout the whole state or are they concentrated in certain parts of the state? I don't have that data in our particular study, but we do know they, uh, we only had it at the county level. I mean, certainly you've got uh, a lot of schools that are in Orlando and Miami and Tampa Bay, uh, but you do have a number of rural schools as well. So they really are quite spread out. So is this program constitutional? I know that in Florida, the Supreme Court has found the voucher program that was enacted uh, by the legislature in Florida to, to be unconstitutional. Uh, is the tax credit scholarship program also at risk? There is pending litigation, litigation in Florida to determine that exact 
question. Uh, that said, though, uh, every single state Supreme Court and the U.S. Uh, state Supreme Court, every state Supreme Court that has addressed the issue has found that the programs are constitutional. Uh, they, uh, the, the question is usually uh, surrounding uh, what's called the Blaine Amendment, which are these historically anti-Catholic amendments that were added to state constitutions uh, by the know-nothings in the late 20th century, you know, sort of the anti-nativist movements that were concerned about Catholics bringing with them rum, Romanism, and rebellion. Uh, and they, the, they usually say that no public funds shall go to sectarian schools, and sectarian meant, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Catholic. Uh, these days, sectarian is defined as, as all private religious schools. But uh, the, the U.S. Supreme Court and the state Supreme Courts that have followed have said that this doesn't actually involve public funds. So it's not actually a reimbursement, it's, it's a tax credit. So somebody will make a donation uh, in 18 different states that have this type of program. Either an individual or a corporation will make a donation to one of these nonprofit scholarship organizations, and then they'll get a tax credit. And it could be a full tax credit, as it is in Florida, or a partial tax credit. A number of the states have anywhere from you know, 50% to 80 85% tax credits. Uh, in Florida, Georgia, Arizona, and a couple others, it's a 100% credit. Then those nonprofit scholarship organizations help low-income kids uh, go to uh, private schools. But at no point do those funds enter the public treasury. So just like with a tax deduction or a property tax exemption, uh, the, the courts have found that these are not public funds. You know, for example, uh, almost every state uh, gives property tax exemption, exemptions to churches. You know, they pay 0%. They, they you know, essentially say they get their entire property tax credited back to them, but we don't say that they're therefore publicly funded. Uh, likewise, donors to churches will receive uh, charitable uh, donation deductions on their federal taxes and in most cases on their state taxes, uh, but we don't say that those churches are therefore publicly funded. Uh, the courts have found no distinction constitutionally between a credit, a deduction, uh, or an exemption. So, so it, uh, sounds, answer, it sounds as yes. if they have a, a pretty good chance, uh, the program is a pretty good chance of being considered constitutional. Now, is it running out of money? I mean, uh, although the program is serving 100,000 students, that's a lot of people have to be uh, taking this uh, advantage of this tax credit. Are the funds for scholarships uh, continuing to increase? Yes, they, they have been hitting their caps in recent years. I mean, it, it's always uh, possible at some point that, I mean, right now the program uh, increases by 20% uh, every year over the previous year, uh, as long as they come within 90% of hitting their cap. So at a certain point, it might be the case uh, that they are not able to, to raise the funds, but so far they've, uh, they've been able to. So what happens when uh, more parents apply for a scholarship than there are funds available? Uh, do they use a lottery to, uh, to hand out the monies, or is there another method? Yes, they do prioritize based on need. Uh, students are eligible if, they, if their families earn up to 260% of the federal poverty line, uh, but those families who earn uh, up to 200% of the federal poverty line 
are uh, given priority first. Beyond that, I'm not sure if they use a lottery system or not. And of, of those who apply, are most of them getting the money then? Or so there's very few who do not uh, get the scholarship if they uh, seek one? Yes, most of the families are receiving a scholarship, but there are some on the wait list. All right, so um, you surveyed all the parents in the program, or at least you, uh, you tried to. Uh, so what was your uh, survey? Uh, did you send this out by email? And, uh, and, and what was your response rate, if, you, if, that, if that was your strategy? Yes, so we worked with Step Up for Students. Uh, they are the largest, there are two scholarship organizations working in Florida, but Step Up provides more than 99% of all of the scholarships. So we worked with them. Uh, they sent an email to uh, every uh, family that's participating in the program, that's more than 60,000 families, and we had about a 22% response rate. Uh, so we had a good number of families that, that did respond and uh, completed the survey. So this is the largest uh, survey of a private school scholarship uh, program ever conducted. But then there was only a you know, some that did respond. Not not everyone responded, and and so you don't really have a representative sample there. Do you think that you got? Uh, you're likely to get a response from more satisfied parents, I would think. So do you think that does that give you any qualms about how you gathered your data? Uh, not particularly. I think for a survey like this, this is actually a pretty good response rate. Uh, you know, we had more than 14,000 that uh, completed their responses. And uh, I'm not sure that we can say that it was those that were more satisfied who are likely to respond. You could even make the opposite argument that those who were less satisfied were, would be looking for an opportunity to express their, their dissatisfaction. I mean, that's what we find, like, for example, in the restaurant industry, uh, if they leave cards asking for feedback, um, you know, if you had a good meal, you often just leave. If you had some complaints, you pick up the card. So uh, I'm not sure uh, that, that we can say that the, they're biased one way or another, but I think it's a, a good size sample for. Yeah, and I guess, I, I, but on the other hand, I think that if people were dissatisfied with their school, they would probably they could easily drop out of the program and go to a public school instead. So, um, you know, uh, you're, I'm not so surprised that you got a very high uh, percentage of the of the family saying they were satisfied. But I found it more interesting as to the reasons that they uh, gave for their satisfaction. Just to clarify, though, the, the total satisfaction was of, uh, not of, of all survey respondents who had used the scholarship in the last two years. So that includes any family who, within the last two years, had withdrawn from the program uh, or, or dropped out of the program for any number of reasons. It could have been that they just simply, you know, they moved to a new state or even to a new town where they liked the public school there and decided not to go to a private school, uh, or in some cases it was because they weren't satisfied with the private education they were getting and they left. But if they had received a scholarship in the last two years, whether they were participating in the program or not, they did uh, get an opportunity to participate in the survey. And how many of, of your respondents uh, were in fact uh, parents who had decided to withdraw from the program? Uh, that was a very small number. I don't recall off the top of my head, but uh, less than five percent. So, so of those who um, who responded, uh, 
What did they say? What was what was the uh, aspect of the school that they uh, uh, they liked the most, or they gave as uh, the uh, aspect of the school they were most satisfied uh, with? Well, just the first overall, ninety-two percent were satisfied with the program, and eighty-nine percent were satisfied with the school that they were able to choose using a scholarship. Uh, in terms of what it was they were looking for. Uh, we gave them an opportunity to uh, list the top three factors that they considered when they were choosing a private school. Uh, and the only two that received the majority of, uh, of answers from the respondents were, number one, with 66% uh, religious environment or religious instruction, uh, and then number two, coming in at 52%, uh, morals, characters, or values instruction. Uh, so those were the, the, the two most important factors for families. Uh, they, the three following were you know, safe environment, uh, academic reputation, and small classes. Uh, all of those got about a third. Uh, and the least important factor, uh, only 4% said that they were looking for standardized test scores. But, uh, but uh, it seemed like the culture, the religious uh, instruction, and the moral culture was actually a bigger factor than the academic quality, though that did come in third on the list. I, isn't, I think yes. I saw that, yeah. And this isn't to say that they're not looking for academic reputation, but if they, if they believe that their local district school uh, that they would be assigned to and the private school are performing on about par when it comes to things like academic performance or, or even safety, uh, then they're looking for the things that they can't get at their assigned school, and that would be, you know, religious instruction or, or morals or values instruction. Right. Uh, so I think that's why we see that this is uh, so high up on the list. This is something that the uh, district schools just can't do. Well, how easy was it for these families to find a school for their child? Ninety percent said that it was easy for them to find a school that was a good fit. Only four percent said that it was difficult. Now, again, I think it is important here to note that we're talking about families that actually were, at least at some point, even if they dropped out of the program, able to find a school. Uh, if we were to conduct a survey of you know, the entire low-income population in the state of Florida, you know, I expect that we would get a different result. Uh, but nevertheless, here you have uh, you know, a representative sample of, of uh, more than 107,000 families that uh, are very low income. Again, average family income of only about $25,000, and yet they said that they were able to find a school that met their child's needs. So it's not like the private schools are discriminating against you just because of your low income. That's right. And we often hear that uh, the private sector is uh, discriminating against uh, minority groups. So what percentage uh, of the students are non-white? Yeah, so uh, the majority, about uh, three-quarters of the families uh, were, responded that they were non-white. 38% uh, were Hispanic and 30% were African-American. And then 3% identified as multiracial. So really, there's very little evidence here that the private schools are not opening their doors to students from all ethnic and racial backgrounds. That's right. So uh, 
you know, does it, does participating in the program change uh, what the family does itself in in terms of uh, their child's education? Do you have any evidence on that? Yes, yeah, so actually, that was one of the really interesting findings that uh, the families who were participating said that they were. Uh, more likely to engage in a variety of education-related activities uh, after participating in the program than they had uh, in their previous school. Now, not all of the families were uh, in a previous school because some of them were entering in kindergarten. So we're looking at the families that had switched schools uh, because they were using a scholarship. Uh, so of those families, you had 77% uh, said they were more likely to communicate with teachers 72% said that they were more likely to participate in school activities. 63% uh, were more likely to volunteer or do community service. 52% uh, were more likely to work on math homework with their child. You know, so that, uh, and 57% said that they were more likely to read to their child. So it, it does seem that uh, these families, once they had a scholarship uh, and had this new school, were really uh, much more engaged with their child's education than they had been previously. So where did these uh, families come from? Uh, they, uh, were they already in private school and now they just had a, a scholarship to help uh, defray the cost? Or, or were they coming from the public sector? So some of them were entering school from kindergarten. So they were, they were participating from uh, the very beginning. 52% uh, had been enrolled in a different school before they received the scholarship. And uh, of those, so of that half, 60% uh, had been in a, uh, some kind of a public school, whether a district school, a charter school, or a magnet school. But I think one thing that's very important, too, uh, that this question gets to, uh, is, is whether the scholarship program is just subsidizing students who already would have been going to a private school or whether it's really expanding educational opportunity uh, for families who otherwise wouldn't be able to enroll their child in a private school. So we asked families uh, what they would do if the program uh, no longer existed, right? If they, if they did not have access to a scholarship, what type of school would they enroll their child in? Uh, and 71% said that their child would be enrolled in some type of public school without the scholarship. Uh, and then, you know, fewer than 30% said they would either be at, at this private school, a different private school, or, or at home school instead. So that has implications. Yeah, that has implications for the taxpayer too. It would seem because uh, if they're not going to uh, a a public school, then the, the public school doesn't have that expenditure. Uh, that it would otherwise have. That's right. So if the state Supreme Court were to, say, um, get rid of the program, uh, or if uh, the legislature for some reason were to decide to get rid of it, uh, you would find, uh, at least according to what these parents are reporting, just a huge number. I mean, possibly 70,000 of these families uh, would be leaving their schools and enrolling in some sort of a public school. Uh, so that uh, would be a, a massive increase on the amount of money that uh, that they would need to, to spend to, to educate these students, since the, the scholarships that they're receiving uh, are worth much less than than what they're spending at the district schools in in Florida. Well, Jason, this is a really fascinating study that gives us an insight into what parents are saying about the schools that their children are attending if they do receive a 
tax credit uh, scholarship. Uh, so thank you very much for joining me today on the Education Exchange. Thank you for having me. I have been speaking with Jason Bedrick, Director of Policy at Edge Hoist, about the Florida Tax Credit Scholarship Program. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me every Monday at noon when our weekly podcast is released on the Education Next website.